We have been uh, working up towards Easter, and we're finally here, but we've been working through the last 24 hours of, of Jesus' life, and uh, we have seen um, Jesus die on the cross. Uh, we've seen Jesus betrayed. We have seen uh, Jesus being buried in the tomb, and, uh, and this is the Jesus who was this miracle worker, uh, the one who went around healing people. Uh, bringing forgiveness to people, taking those who uh, were ostracized by the culture, and he, he would lift them up and, and redeem them. Uh, this is the one who fulfilled prophecy, and then we see him die on a cross because the religious leaders were jealous, and, uh, and Jesus, of course, was pointing out their hypocrisy, and they, they just wanted to get rid of him because Jesus was a threat to their, their power. And so we, le- we left off with Jesus on the cross and then, and then Jesus in the tomb. And you might wonder, like, is that the end of the story? Because in, in, in normal life, when, when someone we love passes away, it's, you know, they don't come walking out of a tomb. But this story is different. Uh, Jesus rises from the dead. In fulfillment of prophecy, and Jesus said this himself, and uh, we're going to look today at uh, the resurrection story according to Matthew. Matthew was uh, one of Jesus' disciples. He was a radical tax collector, and Jesus invited him in to be a part of his little group, and he hung around Jesus for about three years, and he writes down his account in the Bible in, in, uh, in a gospel called the Gospel of Matthew, and, it's, and he writes this, after the Sabbath at dawn, On the first day of the week, that's just the Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And so Sunday morning, they go out to visit the tomb because they couldn't have done that on Saturday. It was a Sabbath. They weren't allowed to do that. Uh, But in Jewish culture, they would would go to the tomb pretty much every day for the first while to mourn the loss of the loved woman. So they, they go to mourn the loss of Jesus. And then it says there was a violent earthquake, and this is the second earthquake we've seen. We saw the first earthquake was when Jesus died on the cross as the earth mourned the death of Jesus. And now we see another earthquake that's almost in celebration of what is about to happen. And then it says, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And so there's a group of guards watching this tomb because uh, the, the Jewish leaders were afraid. The disciples might come and steal the body because there was talk about Jesus being uh, rising from the dead after the third day. And so they have a big group of guards watching this tomb. And a lot of the tombs had a big round stone that you would uh, roll over the doorway, which would be very, very heavy. Some of them had square stones or other kind of stones uh, but the angel, it says, comes down and he sits on the stone and perhaps rolls the stone back. And then, of course, Jesus would be resurrected. The resurrected Jesus would, would come out of the tomb. And it says the guards were like dead men. They shook with fear. And perhaps they were just so afraid of what they saw, the angel coming down, and maybe they saw Jesus walking out of the tomb that they, they just passed out. Uh, maybe uh, they were just paralyzed. And they could see what was happening. They just couldn't do anything. We don't know what happened. I mean, maybe the angel did some like Jack Bauer move or ninja move or now that I'm thinking, maybe, uh, maybe the angel showed David and Goliath and they just fall fell asleep. No. <laughs> but the guards couldn't do anything. 
And Jesus comes out of the tomb. And the angel said to the women, uh, do not be afraid. And this is something angels often say in the Bible, because, I mean, if you saw an angel, you might, you might freak out. Uh, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. And Jesus many times talked about his crucifixion and his resurrection before it ever happened. Uh, it's just one of the many proofs that Jesus really is who he said he is, that, that he predicted his death and predicted his resurrection. Come and see the place where he lay. And so the angel invites them in, and they look, and he's, he's actually not there. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. And Galilee was his, his home region where he did uh, most of his ministry. And there you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples, afraid because it has been a traumatic week. I mean, the one that they had all their hope in had been crucified and, and, and was buried. And I mean, that would have been nightmare enough. But now this angel says that he's risen and his body's not there. And they're like, could this be so? I mean, could this possibly be true? Yet, you know, they're kind of still freaking out because this is a stressful situation. Then it says, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. Uh, then they uh, came to him clasped his feet, and this shows that this was not like a ghost or, you know, some spiritual figure. This, this was a physical resurrection. They actually clasp his feet, and we see Jesus later on eating and, and physically hanging out with people, and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. Uh, there they will see me. And the conversation was probably obviously longer than that. I mean, John says that Jesus did so many things that all the books in the world couldn't even speak about all the things they did. They probably had a, a good conversation, but that was sort of the, what Matthew wrote down. But it's interesting here that they worship Jesus. Uh, these people were smart enough to know that only one person is to be worshiped, and that is God. Jesus himself received worship here and in other places, and he didn't say, whoa, you don't do that. And we know that Jesus himself said you were only to worship God. If you remember when Jesus was tempted and Satan says to Jesus, all this I will give to you, talking about the, the nations of the world. And Jesus said, uh, or Satan said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to Satan, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Uh, Jesus said, you only worship God. All throughout the Bible, it says you only worship God. And here we see these women worshiping Jesus at his feet. Jesus is receiving it. He's to say, no, 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 you don't do that. You only worship God because Jesus himself taught that he was God. Uh, over and over again, he made claims of being deity. And this is one of the reasons the Jews wanted to kill him because they themselves said he's making himself out to be God. And this is such good news. Because this helps us understand what God is like. I mean, some of you are maybe here and you're wondering like, you know, I don't know what God is like. And you, you may picture just some mean God up there just ready to take you out. And you're afraid maybe when you walked in here that the roof was going to cave in or lightning was going to happen. Or, you know, he's just out to get you because you're a bad person and he's just some nasty guy. I mean, what is God like? Well, we look at Jesus. To know Jesus is to know God. In fact, you remember what happened in the book of John. Uh, Jesus said this to his disciples. 
If you really know me, you will know my Father, Father God as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So to know Jesus is to know God. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Uh, show us God, he says. And, and Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And what we know about Jesus as you read the gospel is that, man, he was incredibly loving. Uh, to the most down and out, to the most sinful, the most uh, people who have lived the most horrible lives, he had incredible mercy and grace. I mean, a woman who was caught in adultery, who was about to be stoned, he, he lifts her up and says, go and sin no more. And, and he says, I, I don't condemn you. I mean, you might be here and you just, maybe you might just find yourself in a weight of sin and you just think that God would never want anything to do. I tell you, he wants everything to do with you. And he loves you incredibly and wants to be in relationship with you and wants to transform your life. I mean, this is the God that we serve who has been revealed in, in Jesus. And it goes on, it says, while the women were on their way, uh, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that happened. Again, uh, they may have seen the resurrection and were just paralyzed and couldn't do anything about it. I mean, maybe they passed. We don't know, but they knew something miraculous happened. And they go tell the chief police priests that, that there was a miracle that happened. This, this guy, he rose from the dead. And when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and give you out, uh, get, keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. And so for years after the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, the story about how the disciples stole the body and made a mock resurrection was the story that was told. Now, they had, it says here the chief priest had to devise a plan. They had to pay off the guards and protect the soldiers from the governor. Why? Because if you fell asleep on duty as a guard you would be executed. Uh, in the book of Acts, there's a story that where a few guards were accused of falling asleep on duty and they were executed. I mean, if you were a, a, a soldier in the Roman army and you failed to obey your commander, if he said go, if you didn't go, you would be killed. I mean, it wasn't a fun army to be in. Uh, they wouldn't have fallen asleep. I mean, if someone said to you, you need to watch this tomb all night and if you fall asleep, you're dead. You're not falling asleep. And even on the, the, the radical chance that one of them fell asleep, there was a group of them there. Surely his buddy would have said, hey, you know, wake up. You don't want to die. Or, I mean, it's just unlikely. It's just impossible for them all uh, to fall asleep. And even if, you know, the one in trillion chance they did, when the disciples came along and were trying to move this giant stone right in front of their face, I mean, they would have woken up. I mean, it's just totally implausible. And so this is why they have to pay off these soldiers. But if you don't want to believe in the resurrection... I mean, you got to come up with some excuse. I mean, he's just, you know, I don't believe in God, so you just come up with some idea. But I tell you, the facts point to the reality that Jesus rose from uh, the grave. And what's also interesting, we, and it was pointed out in the video, is that it's really radical that the women are the first ones to come across the empty tomb, and the women are the first ones to come across the resurrected Christ. 
I mean, because some people say, well, maybe the story was just kind of made up by the disciples, you know, because, you know, they just had some agenda and, you know, they had the hopes in Jesus. And so they just invented the story about Jesus' resurrection and just trying to convince people it were true. Well, first of all, they didn't have any motive to do this. All they would face is suffering, execution, and death. I mean, why would you write a story if it just meant that you were going to be killed? Uh, And if they were trying to convince people, they would never have women showing up at the tomb first and seeing the resurrection uh, Jesus first. Um, Some rabbis actually considered women's testimonies invalid in court. Others did. They had to have two women for, for, you know, one man's testimony. Uh, But the women are very strong in this text. They see the empty tomb. They see the risen Jesus first, which means it's probably just what happened. If they were trying to convince the Jews, they would have had men show up first because that's the way the culture was. And it's just God's funny way of just elevating the status of women because, hey, women are created in the image of God just as men. And Jesus had so much to elevate the status of women. Just another point in doing it. I mean, the disciples, the men, where were they? In the Garden of Gethsemane, they fled. At the cross, the women were there. The disciples weren't, all right? Where were the disciples at this point? Hiding out, the book of John says, scared of the Jews. I mean, they're scared. They're hiding out. They're not about to go, you know, steal the body of the disciples. It just doesn't make any sense. The only thing that makes sense is that Jesus, man, he he really is, he's alive. And there's where it says that the disciples are meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. They don't look like people who are going to walk in front of a a group of guards and and steal a body. But here's what happened to the disciples. After the resurrection, these guys who were afraid of the Jews who were so scared uh, and just, you know, falling apart, all of a sudden, Jesus goes and meets with them. They see the resurrected Christ, and all of a sudden, these guys are just radically changed. They move from being cowards to people who are willing to go preach the gospel, the good news about Jesus, who are willing to go through all kinds of suffering, and who died on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, Peter was crucified upside down because he would not deny the resurrection. Andrew was crucified because he would not deny the resurrection. Bartholomew, James and Philip, and Simon were crucified. And you're talking about the most horrendous kind of death. That they had been lying about this, or, you know, they just made this up. I mean, they were not going to be crucified over something like this. Uh, Thaddeus killed by arrows. Matthew was killed by the sword. James was killed by the sword. Thomas by a spear. John, tradition says he was chucked in oil one time, but managed to escape, and he is the only one to die a natural death. I mean, what would bring a group of disciples who were cowards, who wouldn't even ran from Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane, wouldn't be there at the cross, hiding out for fear of the Jews, to people who were saying, I'm willing to lay down my life on the fact that I've seen the risen Jesus and I have been changed. The only answer is that Jesus really did rise from the dead. But more than that, we have people who were like more, uh, you know, against Jesus at one time. You read the Gospels, Jesus' half-brothers, James and Jude, were, uh, they mocked Jesus. You know how like brothers and sisters, we mock each other, you know, sometimes. I mean, they didn't, they didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. They just, they just thought he was kind of wacko, right? But then the resurrection happens. Jesus appears to them, and these brothers go from people who are saying, Jesus, you're a fool, to this. The book of James was written by 
Jesus' brother, Jude, the book of Jews was written by Jude, and they say this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. I mean, let's say your brother ticked you off. You don't like your brother. Maybe some of you don't like your brother or sister. You like to mock them. What would it take to bring you from a place where you mocked your brother to a place where you're like, I'm your slave? Hey, it has to be something completely dramatic. This is what happened. Enter the resurrection. These people were so changed. James becomes one of the leaders of the early church, a Jerusalem church after, uh, uh, after a while. And he was so changed. And they were willing to give up their life on this fact. From a place of mocking Jesus, so transformed by the resurrection that it didn't matter if they were going to be dying. Like, I'm standing on the resurrection. James was beat, stoned, and his brains were dashed out with a fuller's club. Jude was crucified. All stand on the fact that I am not denying the resurrection of Christ. And then we have even more radical people who saw the resurrected. I mean, the disciples, the brothers, there's a group of 500 people that saw the resurrected Jesus. Uh, one of these people was, was Paul, who was a Pharisee. Who in Acts 22, he says this about himself. I persecuted the followers of this way, that's Christians, to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. Uh, he persecuted Christians. He hated Christians. He wanted to get rid of Christians. He was like Hitler and the Jews or you know, Osama bin Laden and you know, Christians or whatever it might be. I mean, he hated Christians, was killing them, arresting them. And then he sees the resurrection Christ and he's just completely rearranged. He is totally changed. He begins to teach about love and the grace of God. And he says this, part of his testimony Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Now there's someone who's just radically changed. Uh, all these people who encountered the risen Christ were so radically changed that they were willing to give their lives for it, and they did. And Paul himself, under Nero, would give his life over the fact that Jesus has risen from the grave. The very one who was killing Christians dies. I mean, this would be like, like you know, Hitler again, like uh, converting to Judaism and preaching to all his German friends in that day uh, the, the faith of the Jews. I mean, that would just be, like, what would take someone to transform like that? It's happened to Paul. And it's happened to the disciples and his brothers and, and the 500 and millions and millions of people since that day. I mean, Jesus is alive. He has risen from the grave and he transforms us. And, and this is the good news of the resurrection. That Jesus rose from the grave means that everything he said is true. He predicted his death. That was true. I mean, it means everything else he said is true. This is not fairy tale stuff. It's a reality. That your life really can be transformed. And it means uh, um, that we can be transformed. Uh, Dr. Michael Lacona is, uh, he was a Christian, still is a Christian. Uh, he was doubting his faith. You know, sometimes you as a Christian, you might doubt your faith. And is this really true? And, you know, we kind of go through struggles like that. He was doubting. He was like, you know, I'm going to settle this once and for all. His education was in history, the study of history. And he said, I'm going to put this religious stuff aside, and I'm just going to look at 
the way we look at any historical event in history and to find out whether it's true or not. I'm going to apply this to the resurrection. And he ends up writing a 700-page book, scholarly book with 2,000 footnotes. Uh, But this is his conclusion. He says, we have historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And when you subject that historical evidence to a strictly controlled historical method, so you just kind of put religion aside, a strictly controlled historical method, the resurrection of Jesus is not only the best explanation, it is by far the best historical explanation for the known historical data. And he's not the only smart person, but there have been hundreds of people, doctors and lawyers and all kinds of people who have said, you know, I'm going to figure this out by looking at it. And they're just like, man, this, this is true. And again, this is good news because this means what Jesus said is really true. This means things like this, that we really can have true rest and peace in our souls because Jesus said this, come to me and I, uh, and uh, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. This isn't just wishful thinking that the resurrected Christ said this. And it means you today can experience rest and peace in your soul. How many of you experience that right now? I mean, if you're just to take a, a big breath, I mean, you just feel the peace of God in your heart. You just, does your soul just feel at rest in Him? I mean, it can be. Even though the world is trouble and, and there's issues going around and you have difficulties in life. I mean, Jesus said, in this life you're going to have trouble, and that's true too. But in the midst of that, you can just have this peace because Jesus has risen from the dead. Uh, We can experience true freedom. Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I mean, do you know what freedom is like in your life? Freedom from the bondage of sin, freedom from guilt, freedom from just the weight uh, of not knowing life's purpose purpose or whatever it is. I mean, do you know freedom? Because again, this can be you. It's not fairy tale stuff. Jesus has risen from the dead, and he can set you free. We can have complete forgiveness. Uh, Mark said, the Son of Man, as Jesus, has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he says that anyone who comes to him and asks, he'll forgive. That if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will cleanse us from sin. All unrighteous. I mean, do you experience forgiveness? Do you have that at work in your life? Do you know you're forgiven? Are you living in forgiveness? I mean, are you weighed down by guilt and just because you've messed up in life and you keep beating yourself up because you make so many mistakes? I mean, the reality is you can be free. Jesus has taken upon our guilt and our punishment and, and our sin that this, again, is a reality in Jesus. Uh, we can experience satisfaction. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will never go hungry, and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. I mean, I mean, maybe you're someone who keeps rushing around just trying to find out, like, what in life really satisfies? You may rush to money for a while and just gather on, and well, that doesn't really satisfy. And you try out new hobbies, and you keep moving from job to job. Maybe that'll give me satisfaction. Maybe if I watch this TV show, it'll make me happy, and, and some of those things make you happy for a while, but in the end, you're just like, I have no idea what makes me happy. Well, Jesus does. Jesus is the one who created us. Jesus is the one who died and rose from the dead. And he says, it's found in me and it's found in loving people. And that's why the mission at this church really is the secret, if you will, to happiness. It's found in loving Jesus and loving people. 
And if you just figure that out, I mean, you can enjoy your hobbies and jobs and all the stuff that makes life happy and fun and stuff, but, but I mean, true happiness is found when you learn to love Jesus and love people. And it's found in Him. And I mean, this stuff, this Jesus stuff, I mean, it works because this is not just fairy tale. This is real stuff. That means we have a helper and a leader. I mean, we're always looking for the right leader. But we never find the right leader. There's no leader out there who knows everything. There's no leader out there who's powerful and and all loving. And so sometimes we're like, well, I'm going to lead my life. And it's like, well, that works out great sometimes. Because I don't know anything and I mess up and, you know, I'm not a great leader. I mean, but Jesus is. I mean, Matthew 8, it says that Jesus drove out spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. We have a Jesus who is all-powerful. Uh, he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it was dead calm. Again, we have a leader who is all-powerful. Uh, John 14 says, I am the way, Jesus said, and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I mean, I mean it can be difficult in this day trying to find out what truth is. I mean, where do I go for answers? Where do I go for help? Because, I mean, I can Google anything, and there's, like, all these different opinions. And it's like, man, it wouldn't be nice if I could just go to one person who was perfectly powerful and perfectly loving and just really had it all together. It's like, that's Jesus. That he is the leader that all of us are really looking for. And not only is he all-powerful, because sometimes there have been some pretty powerful people in history who have been completely unloving. And that doesn't help. But as Sarah said, I mean, we have a Jesus who is... 100% powerful and 100% loving wrapped up in one person who just loves us beyond anything we could ever imagine. I mean, you don't need to keep searching for a leader. You don't need to try to be that leader that can just run your life perfectly because we have one and his name is Jesus. And in him, and we keep going on, but the last one here, Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them from my hand. I mean, the the quest for eternal life, you know, you don't need to search anymore. It's found in Jesus. I mean, he's the only one in history who has died and risen from the dead. I mean, and he says, I can give you the same. That if you trust in me and you walk with me and you follow me, not only will you have the kingdom and become a child of God and and all these beautiful things, but man, you're going to go living forever. And that's going to be beautiful. I mean, the reality is that Jesus transforms lives. I mean, in all of this stuff, it, I mean, you're just like, man, I wish that were true. It is true. <laughs> I mean, and, and there's just millions of testimonies around the world of this happening in people's lives. It doesn't mean our lives are perfect. And we, I mean, we struggle, and I still mess up all the time. But, but I mean, there's this peace, and God is at work in my life and the lives of others. I mean, there's so many stories. One of my favorite stories, I think I've told this before, about transformation about Jesus, a guy named Billy Moore. Uh, Billy Moore grew up as, as a troubled teenager, just like a lot of us as teenagers sometimes. Uh, but afterwards, he ended up joining the army. He got married, have a, have a couple kids. But, I mean, he, his life was a mess. And uh, he would drink all the time and just do stupid things. His wife left and took the kids. And he was all by himself, just drinking away. And he was complaining to his buddies how, you know, he just had, didn't have any money. And his buddies say, hey. Uh, we know a guy who lives in this town who, keep, who keeps all his money in his house because he's afraid of the banks, and he's really old, so uh, you should just go and steal it. And so he goes, that's a great idea. So he gets a gun. He goes and breaks into this guy's house. He was 77 years old. And this guy w- wakes up in the middle of the night. He hears someone in his house. He grabs his shotgun, sees Billy Moore, shoots Billy Moore, but misses him. Billy Moore takes his gun, and at point-blank range, shoots the old guy twice, dead. 
scrunches around the house, and he managed to only find a few thousand dollars. Uh, but he wasn't a very smart criminal because the cops caught up to him uh, pretty quickly. And it was sentenced to uh, uh, the death penalty. Uh, Billy Moore's mom was a Christian and had some friends who were in Georgia. That's where he was held. And, uh, and said, could you go see my son? And they go see Billy. And they begin to tell Billy, hey, uh, despite what you've done, Jesus loves you. And despite what you've done, Jesus wants to transform you. Despite what you've done, Jesus wants to give you a new start and do something amazing in your life. And Billy Moore's like, you got to be ridiculous. I mean, I'm headed for the death penalty. There, there's no hope. And they said, there isn't Jesus. And he ends up just opening his heart to Jesus. And, and this is what happens, whether it's Billy Moore or me or you, that when you open your heart to Jesus, I mean, it is just mind-boggling how, how Jesus begins to change you. And he just begins to be changed. They found a little tub that they got permission. They baptized him there in the prison. And uh, he begins studying the Bible. And he ends up being known in the prison as the peacemaker. Uh, he runs Bible studies. And, and he just brings love to this prison. This radical transformation. He writes letters to the family of the guy he killed. And he asks for forgiveness. And, uh, and develops such a relationship with the family of the guy he killed that his uh, that the family of the guy he killed actually began to call Billy a family member. Radically transformed. The justice system was super slow. It took 16 years until the date of his death finally came about. And just 24 hours before the death was supposed to happen, there was this emergency hearing about this model prisoner. And, uh, and there was testimony from the family of the victim saying, we, we don't want to see him die. He really is a transformed person. We've never seen this. And, and people from the prisoner came and they, the first time in history, they actually dropped the death penalty, and, and he actually was set free. And this actually made it, and this, you can still find it today, on the front page of the New York Times. A day short of death, he was set free. Uh, totally transformed. And, and you know where this guy is today, Billy Moore? He, he's actually a pastor, believe it or not, probably preaching an Easter message just like me. Uh, completely transformed. But he was asked once in an interview, uh, Billy, what changed you? Uh, was it like some, you know, really in-depth, you know, really crazy counseling or the justice system? What changed you? And this was his answer. I will tell you, plain and simple, it was Jesus Christ. He changed me in ways I could never have changed myself. He gave me a reason to live. He helped me to do uh, the right things for a change. He gave me a heart for other people. Uh, completely changed. I mean, I stand one here as completely changed. I mean, before I met Christ, I mean, I was just always like, what in the world satisfies? I kept running to things and nothing would satisfy until, man, I met Jesus. And he just instills in me a hope and a power and a grace that even though life can be a struggle at times, I mean, there's just, there's just a peace. And I just love, love Jesus. Uh, Jesus, we, we thank you for loving us so incredibly. Uh, we thank you for the miraculous work that you do in our lives. Uh, that, that transformation, God, that is, is, is wildly unexplainable at times, how you transform us for the good. Uh, God, we thank you for doing that. We thank you for working in our lives. We thank you for love and grace and power. Uh, and God, we thank you for each person here. We just thank you that we can be together and join each other as friends and, and meeting new people. And uh, just pray your blessing over this potluck we're going to have together. We thank you for all the food. And I uh, just pray you would bless it as we, we eat. Um, and just bless those that are coming for prayer.
And God, I pray that you would answer prayer today, that uh, your power would be at work, and that we'd see some miracles in people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.